Welcome to Sales Enabled, the podcast for salespeople, sales leaders, and sales enablers everywhere who are committed to making the sales profession better for everyone involved. Hello, welcome. In episode eight of Sales Enabled, I'm speaking with my good friend, Robert Ruiz. Robert has held vice president roles at Groupon and WeWork, C-suite roles at Groupon Spain and at Taster. And in this conversation, we get into a topic that both of us hold close at heart, which is sales culture. Robert and I have similar attitudes on what a good sales culture looks like. And this has definitely changed over the past year or two as blitz scaling and hyper-growth companies find themselves right-sizing to the current economy. In this episode, we discuss what career salespeople should be looking for and how they should be assessing the sales culture for their next role, what sales leaders can and should be doing to build a culture that balances high performance with psychological safety, and also what role training and enablement plays in a strong sales culture. Let's get into the show. Hey, Robert. Great to see you. Super excited about this one. I've spoken on the topic of sales culture a few times and uh it's no surprise i learned a lot of the stuff from you so finally good to have you on the podcast welcome hey dan thank you for having me very happy to be here with you brilliant well so the listeners know we we've gone back our relationship has multiple strengths and just uh, just so people are, uh, are listening to this and thinking these guys these guys are friendly we work together i worked for you at one point thank you very much for that <laughs> You also taught me how to be a parent, even though uh, I had absolutely no idea what you were talking about at the time. So Robert coached me through uh, us having a baby and going through that. And also, just 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 to give you credit, so I love Audible and I love listening to Audible on 2x speed. You're the only person in the world that I don't need to listen to on, on 2x speed. <laughs> So um, sorry, stop. Everything you say is gold. Everything you say is gold. So this is going to be a good episode. Thank you, Dan. Yes, it's true. We, I think you're the first time, the first person that I met when we joined WeWork. When I joined WeWork, that was on September 2018. It was June, actually. It was on King's Cross on on uh, on sales training. It was that was my first day. Yeah, I was excellent, actually. And you were just like one week old in the company, also. And I said, like, this guy has been here for six months or whatever and it's like no i just started two weeks ago something like that we it was a fast learning yeah, program, yes. right? it was um but we had an amazing program there. Mm-hmm. i think you know the the work that we did putting into sales camp and the training that we did the standard the standard was high but that's you know I, I, we'll talk about standards yes. today standards is one of those things that drives culture mm-hmm. you've got a high standard people joining in fact, actually, we, we can talk a little bit about my dissertation. We'll, we'll go into that because that was all about standards mm-hmm. and and the culture that you join and how it impacts people. Because mm-hmm. I saw some people come into you know, previous yeah. companies where there was a bad culture. They'd be great salespeople and their performance would go mm-hmm. down. Because if you come into a great culture, you almost get kind of pulled up. So, yeah, that's the topic for today. The the topic for uh, around sales culture. But let's let's look at the market. Yep. And I know you're kind of you know very well plugged in we you know, we were we went through the blitz scaling mm-hmm. went through the hyper growth we went through the here's the billions <laughs> spend it doesn't matter on what don't think about spend on what you spend it on and i think you know that ended in a way where we we had to say goodbye to a lot of amazing people yeah. and we're seeing that in the market right now right a lot of especially salespeople, even though they're performing extremely well just kind of finding themselves back out in the market through no fault of their mm-hmm. own, but because we're having this right sizing of organization. So lots of great talent coming onto the market. If you were a salesperson now, 
and you're thinking about your next move, what's what's the culture that people should be looking for? What do you think is it? What makes up a good sales culture? I think that's that's that, that's a key question. I think first, let me start by saying that I think what we're seeing right now is a rationalization, and we're going back to what it used to be. What we live on the last yeah. uh, ten years after the two thousand eight crisis. Um, was an influx of capital, and, and this is a typical dynamic that happens after every squeeze, there's a glut. And then on top of that, we had COVID, and, and when, when COVID and the lockdown happened, there was a lot of people suffering, but there was a lot of people working from home and saving money and, and moving towards online um, tools and systems and and, 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 and and type of working. I don't know, like I used to have, I always make the same joke, I used to have a beautiful, beautiful desk uh, where I used to work for one hour and a half at night uh, pre-COVID. And after two weeks of pandemic, it just completely crumbled because it was beautiful, but it just couldn't hold 10 hours of me <laughs> of, with my laptop every day. So so we all refitted our houses to to, to mm -hmm. become online. So I think part of what, what's happening is that we're going back to a rationalization. And, and unfortunately, this is impacting a lot of people. A lot of us are, are impacted right now. So I think that... In terms of what culture a salesperson need to, need to be finding uh, or, or looking for, I think like there's two components. One is the the, the company's culture, and the other one, and the one is is the team culture that comes and emanates from the leader. When we talk about companies, I think what we're going to see right now, we are seeing actually even with all the layoffs, there's there's there are jobs on the market, especially in the US and and in the UK, but they are they're moving towards things that are more tangible. Like life sciences have been actually growing a lot in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm everything that has to do with green economy, everything that has to do with manufacturing. There's, there's a, in the US, um, a repatriation of the supply chain from Southeast Asia. And on the UK, it's happening also to a degree, a repatriation of the yeah. supply chain in order to adapt um, to the post-Brexit circumstances and the constraints that we are suffering here in, in the UK market. So I think trying to understand what is the culture of the company, if the company is actually cemented in a growth, but sustainable growth type of company, or, or if they're asking for crazy um, crazy uh, numbers. Like, for example, one telltale for me that, that is always very interesting is when somebody asks you, uh, what are your contacts or what is your Rolodex looking like? Was like, dude, like the last, mm. the last one, two years, everybody, this, is, this has been musical chairs. First, because everybody was hired by everybody. And second, because now there's been layoffs. So my contacts are there. I have a lot of friends. Do you have a lot of friends now? Because living around the block, but probably they're not in the same place they were six months ago and they will be in a different place right. in six. So I think it's just trying to understand if the companies do understand that growing, there's no silver bullet. Like the, the I think the, the, the conclusion to me, um, understanding uh, what has happened on the last couple of years and, and what brought us to this situation is thinking that there's going to be a silver bullet that is going to save companies magically by signing uh, with this person on a marketing campaign or doing or, mm. um, I don't know, buying this tool uh, in order to do outreach and increase these magnificent 5x uh, meetings that everybody's promising on LinkedIn. There's no such thing like that. So it's just one yeah. is trying to understand what is the company's culture, if they, if they look at the PNL or not. Then in terms of the sales culture, sales is a very peculiar, it's a very peculiar profession. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm saying profession, not job. There's a lot of people coming to sales, but uh, they are tourists. Uh, sales is very complicated. Yeah. You, you become a professional salesperson where you've been up and down for four or five years. You've done very good and very bad. And, the, and then you decide, okay, I can cope with this. And this is what I'm going to be doing for the next 40 years. Um, 
but that profession you don't study that profession uh, on you don't have an university degree you don't you don't you don't study economics yeah. or you don't study whatever so you need sales enablement professionals like you embedded in the in the company to actually help you become a better ae or sdr or even sales leader i think like coaching for sales leaders is something that is fundamental and it has changed my career so if the team is embedded uh, it has embedded this culture of high performance energy driven but also enabling people to become better and grow with, and grow within the team that for me is the cornerstone of what makes a good a good sales team because they can promise you uh, tremendously good OT. The salary, the salary is not going to be good in the next six to twelve months uh, because of the situation, and there's so many people unemployed that there's going to be a squeeze on the salaries. But the OT can be amazing. But if the sales team actually is well ingrained within the company, if you feel that there's not a contrarian attitude, there's a good relationship with product, for example, with marketing and finance. I think those three, those three teams are fundamental to be always very well aligned with product, uh, product marketing and finance. And if there's a culture of growth internally that, that the leader actually is propositive about, that is some place where, where I think a person coming to sales will feel very comfortable or should be looking for. Why? Because that is going to help him or her build the next three to four years of their career, which is fundamental. Because if you start, start hopping between jobs, between 22 and 27, you're going to learn only bad trades. You're going to be following the salary in the LTE. And that means that you're going to be burning a lot of bridges and you're not going to be understanding the flows of, uh, of victory and failure. Let's say that way. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's so many bits to unpack in that. And, and I think the, the growth at any cost thing, the model is, is it's fun. Like let's, let's, yeah. let's, Kind of let's just call it what it is. It's like a roller coaster. You ride it. You you you're cashing the check before it's earned, like the billionaire check. We're all going to be rich. We're all going to be rich and famous. And sometimes it happens. Like some people get off of that, but maybe not. And I think this this kind of sustainable growth thing that you talk about is is a smart one. Salespeople, in my opinion, many of them are competitive, uh, and I think they want to. They still want to be in an organization that is growing, that is going in a direction, not just kind of treadmill. Uh, style. So I think it's about finding one of those companies that is growing. But like you say, it's growing with a, a controlled element. You know, we've got a good client base. They're not just hoping for the one that's going to come along. And they're also not driving towards some magical exit where everybody just suddenly leaves and then things disappear. You know, and you talked about this move to manufacturing and, and kind of more physical businesses. So I think that that's really good advice. Especially because context that is key and, and, and there's a part that um, social media, Netflix and and, and, and and all the media that we consume, they're, they're selling us one dream. But that dream is the Silicon Valley Palo Alto dream. The possibilities of making yeah. a big exit in Palo Alto or Silicon Valley or even New York are way higher than if you live in London yeah. or if you live in Newcastle or if you live in Frankfurt or if you live in Spain. I'm, I'm, I'm Spanish yeah. and, and Spain is not a poor country, but it's not a rich country. The access to capital is way smaller than you have in the UK. So entrepreneurship mm -hmm. in Spain is more complicated and is more focused on sustainable growth because you cannot fail big time because you're not going to have an ongoing yeah. influx of cash. The UK <clears throat> has access, specifically for the people that are listening to us in the UK, has way more access to cash than Spain and other countries, but it's not the US. And the exits and the multiples and the valuations on the UK rarely are mm. the same thing as on the UK. So I think when we're selling this dream and when we've been sold this dream about magical exits or whatever, 
uh, we need to understand the context. Uh, uh, if you are, if you yeah, are on yeah. a place like India, that is going to be very competitive, but demographically you can reach magnitudes incredible, or China, or the US, you can you, you can land on your feet on, on, on one of those exits. And the UK, potentially, but less, and in the rest of the world, is good old-fashioned hard work, and maybe that exit doesn't buy you a mansion in Malibu, but gives you for the half a mortgage in, in your house, which is not a bad idea, actually. Still, still not bad. Still not bad. So, okay. So the the growth culture, but sustainable growth is the company. All right. And then, like you said, the team culture. I really like that. You know, the the alignment between sales, product, finance. Everybody's everybody's shooting at the same thing. People aren't pulled in different directions from a priority perspective. If you're if you're if you're going into a sales interview, let's say I'm yeah. a salesperson, I come to you. What questions should I be asking as a salesperson? Like, because we're flipping it now, right? I'm interviewing mm-hmm. you as a salesperson. I'm like, why? Why should I join you? What questions should I be asking, like, to to really understand the culture? One of the things uh, that I that I like to, and again, uh, this is going to go to open-ended questions and and everything that we do for a living here, which is, is how you need to be pitching these questions to to actually understand how well your leader reacts. Or like asking things like, who is your best friend in the company? Who is the team that actually, uh, which one is the team that you speak the most or you expect me, to, uh, expect me um, to talk about the most? What are the cross-functional relationships? How, 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 much, uh, how many times do we actually engage with product? Uh, do we have people associated with us on the product team, uh, product managers to actually do training when a company has to meetings, especially on the SaaS and FinTech that is very, very, very important mm-hmm. and very big here, here in the UK. It's just trying to gauge indirectly what is the openness to other teams? Uh, and, and I know it sounds a little bit, a little bit like the very obvious, but it will surprise you the amount of people saying, no, 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 I, I don't want you wasting time on, on meeting people from other departments. You're here to bang the phones and do 375,000 yeah. million calls per day and booking meetings yeah. and blah, 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 blah. But that's going to show you a little bit what is, what is, um, what is, what is what. But making those questions and probing the, the person that is interviewing you about how do you interact with other departments and what are the expectations? That's fundamental, I would say. I had uh, an interesting conversation with a, a sales leader. She was she's an SDR manager just the other day, and we were talking about she was struggling, right? Because they were struggling to book appointments. And I said, you know, so what are you doing? What's your what's your hook? What are you calling up about? And and it was pretty weak. Like I'm not I'm not gonna lie, it was pretty weak. But I said. So what you need to do is you need to educate your client. Like there's a gap in education, you, you, you know, and you know you need to educate your client before they'll be even willing to book a meeting with you. So I said, so what are what are product marketing doing for you? So oh, I can't ask product marketing. They're they're too busy. They're not doing anything. Like they're not aligned with us. And and I think that's that's the challenge, right? Every team is motivated, or, or you can get to a situation where they're, they're incentivized by different things. And so unless they're all kind of pulling in the same direction, especially that's, because that's a good point. I agree. You're seeing, we are seeing some very nice trends, or at least I find it, uh, I find the trends very interesting on the last couple of couple of years where I come traditionally from a background of, of managing large, large sales teams, namely enterprise MLD type of teams or, or then doing sales, sales operations. Now that function is moving towards revenue operations and I know it sounds funkier, mm. but also there's a piece of, of, of theoretical approach there that I support, which is we used to rely on sales teams to bring revenue to the company, and that is not going to happen anymore. You cannot do that just by bombarding people and throwing bodies at problems and piling up salespeople. The only thing that's going to do is going to 
is going to jeopardize, the, is going to increase the SGNA of your company and it's going to jeopardize the PNL of your company. What you need to do is come yeah. together as a company and cross functionally, that's the function of the revenue ops team or, or the growth mm-hmm. officers to bring together teams like growth marketing, like you were saying, and product and sales and, and think about what is the virtuous circle that you can grow around that. When you have that in a company, then you see that that company is going to be successful. If 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 a if an SDR a, an SDR is a very tough profession. That, that's that's how I started um, doing sales, and, and and it's not easy. If an SDR cannot reach uh, product marketing to help with content, with cadences, with ideas, yeah. there's something deeper going on there. Yeah, and. Too too many times, like an SDR is thrown into the deep end. Right? Here's here's some th- some resources. Here's a here's a tool. Go and email a million people. Good luck. If you don't do it, by the way, uh, we're not going to support mm-hmm. you on your own. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, SDR SDR is one of the one of the challenges. One I have noticed though, and and you know, kind of going back to the blitz scaling, SDRs were also the ones that were paid. There were some crazy pay rises going on for SDRs, and so I think that that facilitated the movement. People would be in a company six months. Yeah. I saw this a lot. And then say, well, they're paying fifty percent extra. I'm going to go yeah. there, even if they're not very good. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I think that's you know, you, you talked about the glut, and you talked about all the kind of money coming back in. That 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 promotes that kind of behavior. Right? It becomes a bit more mercenary. And I think now we need to be um, thinking a little bit more differently. We need to think, like you said, three to four years long line. I don't know if we can see beyond that, but at least find a place that can can grow and nurture an individual so they can grow their profession and I like the way you call it profession um, for at least a good period of time. Yes, especially because oh, uh, unless yeah. there's a fundamental change in technology or hardware or something that happens that moves the dial, something like what happened in 2008 when post the crisis we have the iPhone and then the app culture and social media and that triggered another phase of growth until we until we identify what's going to be the next trigger to get over this hump, we are not going to see this, that influx of cash. Like cash right now is being very conservative. It's going back to real estate. It's going back to funds. It's going back to cash deposits. Yeah. And that means that we all need to go to the good, good old-fashioned um, proper value proposition based sales, which which I, I, I feel very comfortable with. Um, but it's, it's going to require some some adaptation, especially for the younger generations that have grown normalizing something yeah. that was not normal. Yeah, and, and you, value proposition is one of the fundamentals of sales and sales training, right? I can't remember how many times I've done value proposition training. I did a video on it this week, right? Just a, a fundamental training. But it's one that we're just, you know, we've, I think we've got lazy at. It's just like, hey, you should buy our stuff because everybody else buys it. I agree with you. I think I'm... I, I love technology. I, I I I was a typical kid that I was playing with Max when I was like twelve years old. Yeah. But I think that technology has made us sloppy because of the of the access of the quick instant gratification that it gives us. And I know this is something that people know, mm. but for example, the same the same thing that happened on social media where everybody just vomits the first thing that they think um, without understanding what is the impact they can have on on the person that is reading this, especially on mental health. This has happened also. Yeah. Um, all the access I have, you know, for example, that I'm, I'm a sucker for Salesforce. I love Salesforce and HubSpot. I can spend hours there and I really, really, really understand it. But one of the things that I realized some seven, eight years ago, it was, it was making me a bad manager because I was 
I was able to tell my boss upstream what was going wrong, but I was but I was not able to tell him or her why it was going wrong because I, I was not mm. talking to my people. I was talking to Salesforce. I was doing queries on Salesforce and I was doing yeah. reporting. And when you think about about tools like uh, the, some of the tools that we have right now for for doing outreach and and dialing and and CRMs is fantastic, like uh, in comparison with what we used to have 10, 20 years ago. Um, but also it has made us sloppy to understand, like in the end, what is this one-to-one conversation with your prospect about value proposition? What is your need? How can I support you with uh, that need? And what is the solution? Like we've forgotten about that. We're just bombarding people and by brute force trying to crack the code. And and, and this is what has gone wrong with that profession, I think. Yeah, well, I tell you, you know, it's- you've grown in that time and yes you're you know of the people that i know you are one of the salesforce wizards you're able to find the numbers that nobody's looking for and people aren't even aware that they need to know these numbers so uh, credit to you and i think you have learned to communicate so let's let's talk about communication let's talk about your communication and i'm going to i'm going to ask you i'm going to ask you a very loaded question uh, but the the listeners won't get it so you're clearly smart Right. You're talking about global economic movement. You're talking about uh, how, you know, cash is available in different locations. You're talking about the trends in industry. So why do you write emails for the gifts? <laughs> why? Like, just for context, right? For context, Robert was sending his Monday, I think it was the Monday email, which is just a stream of gifts. And I like, I love a gift. Like, I think I've, I've learned it. But a gifts appropriate business communication? Come on, man. Like for a smart guy it like has, you? It, what's it, the, it what's, has given me a lot of pain, especially upstream. Some people did not like it. Um, and, and actually, yeah. uh, with time, I, 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 split the, I split the messages and the audiences. Look, to me, it's very, it's very easy. Like, never mind how smart you are if you cannot communicate appropriately. And, and to communicate appropriately, you need to think about the person that is receiving the message. One of the things yeah. that that to me is super important on a sales team, like thinking about uh, or, or recapping on what we've been discussing about this being a profession, but you don't have any academic background behind you um, supporting that. I come from environmental chemistry, so pff, I've never worked uh, on, on, on anything to do with that. It's just how do you pass the messages and how do you keep people focused on mm. that? If, if I distill yeah. a lot of numbers and, and, and I... I prepare an email with five mini bullet points and then uh, two paragraphs identifying what are the aims of the week and I send it to my to my SBP or the C-suite or, or, or they are going to get it. It's something distilled. It's yeah. bits that they can repeat also. They can understand what are the three pain points. If I send to a mixed yeah. constituency of SDRs, AEs, CSMs, all those bits, they're they're not. It's just not going to speak to them. It's not going to transpire. You need something yeah. that is more focused, that is more brutal in the way in in, in in the sense of more in your face. We have a problem. What is the problem that we have? When when you're when you're when you're in a sales team, normally you have two problems: upper funnel or lower funnel. Upper funnel, you need to open more leads, you need to qualify better leads, or you need to progress the leads. Lower funnel, you need better conversion, better onboarding, better CPQ, um, or something like that. So in the end, you're managing two different stages, upper and lower file, and three main uh, variables on, on each one of them. So six concepts, okay? If I send an email to the to the, to the SDR, so the guys, guys, our upper funnel is down 25% year, week over week, and we are gonna have with a conversion rate, uh, that, 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 that we're not gonna hit quotas, so like, give or jabber. It's so like, if I send a gift, yeah. 
saying, guys, we need each one of you five new leads per day this week to hit. And then we put a give of go get them or, or whatever. They are going to get it. And it's yeah. fun for them. Yeah. And it's not boring. If I send to, um, to the account manager, guys, the churn is getting out of whack and it's 2.5%. And this means X million of dollars, mula mula that you're losing. They are going to get it. So I think it's a question of how do we adapt the communication to them and how do we make sure that they understand when you manage a team, especially a team that is, that is getting larger and larger, you need to, you need to be able to have, to have this culture that we spoke, a few tenets, a few guidance that every week when they arrive on Monday, they need to understand what is going on. What, what, what should I be doing this week? Do I go on the, on the, Typical week that I arrive, 8.45 to the office, I brew myself a coffee and then check emails. No, I need to open pipeline. I need to focus on opening pipeline the next three days. And then I need to do my admin on Thursday and Friday. I need to prepare the next week. Or I need to convert these two, three ops. And I, you need to give them some guidance to each one of the teams at the beginning of the week to fix the positions. And that will help a lot the team and the sales managers to actually drive the week. The difference, why that is important, having those crisp communications, is between you managing the week or the week managing you. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Prioritization is, is the key one, right? And I think, you know, I've, I've got a list. I'm going to test you in a minute because like any good interview, I'm going to go on to chat GPT and say, what are the topics we should be talking yeah. about? So I've actually got a list of 10 things that in a minute we'll see if, if you can get all 10 about you know, creating a good sales culture and having those measurable, achievable goals, the, the targets for the week is, is such an important one, right? And, and I think, it, you know, we go back to SDRs. SDRs can get monotonous, yeah. right? You can get like doing the same thing over, over and over again. So I think actually giving them some variety and even if it's just a, a shift mm -hmm. in the focus, you know, targeting a different exactly. group or you know, a different stage of the sales process, we're gonna go kind of lower in the funnel, higher in the funnel, whatever like giving them something like that gives them a little bit more energy and a little bit more excitement. So I think, you know, that was one thing I've definitely learned from you on, on the communication pieces. You've got to have the numbers, like you can't, you can't just go give. And then just, so if anybody's listening to this and just thinking it's just a string of gifts, it's, it's goofy, not. Yeah. To make it's, a good. Yeah. It's knowing that, yeah, you've got to know the numbers, but you've got to have a, a point to make with the numbers. Exactly. Uh, and I think that's what the gift is. To make a good email or to make a good PowerPoint presentation, you need to have crunched a lot of numbers on Excel and know your numbers upside down because you need to have uh, substance. Like in the end, it cannot become a vanity project where you just send a, a, an email with, mm. with gifts just trying to be the cool guy. No, you're using this yeah. because this is your job. As a sales leader, you're there to set guidance for the week, the month or the quarter. And you do this on a weekly basis that you do a wash up at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter and you do a, a kickoff on the quarter or on the month to just reignite everybody. That's the job. The job is not buying beers on Thursday afternoon or going to a meeting uh, just, to, just to show face with a client. The job is to set the teams in motion and to give them clear guidance of what do you need to be doing. Yeah. And I think, you know, adjusting it to your audience, you exactly. don't send that up, but you definitely exactly. send it down. And I think, you know, one of the things as well is to be consistent with that. This is, you know, an element of consistency. I've seen, you know, when when it's easy, sales leaders do a lot of these things, right? And when things are going well, yeah, the gifts are a little bit easier to write. But when it's difficult, when it's hard, like still write the gifts. You can use different gifts. You can still use different message, but the way you communicate has to be, has to be the same and you know good sales leaders i think have that consistency 
where it means you, as, a, as, a, as a team member, you're not scared to go and talk to them because you don't know what mood they're going to be in. You know what I mean? It's like, this is a bad month. Can I go and ask them for some help? Or are they going to bite my head off? Uh, no, this is going to be the same as if it's a good month. So, all right, let's let's have a look then. So I'm going I'm to ask you to to think about your own examples. Like, what have you done to set a good culture? And then I'll see if there's any on the list. But I've got 10, 10 ways a sales leader can create a good sales culture. Um, by the way, using uh, artificial tools is not one of them, but you've got one already, which is the, the setting the measurable targets and goals for the week and the purpose. What else, when you're going through your mental checklist of, of sales culture, what are you trying to do as a leader? One of the things that I force myself is like, I, I color code my calendar uh, in red are meetings that I, I, I cannot avoid, green are regular meetings, and then yellow uh, are meetings that I'm having with people from my team. And I'm always trying 50, 55% of the time on every week to be with people from my team. And when one week veers away from that, unless it's something critical because we have a new product launch or the, 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 the C-suite needs me somewhere else, I try to stick to my guns to that. Um, I need to chat with the sales managers or the directors every week. And then I try to do a bi-weekly or a monthly, depending on the size of the teams, with each one of the reps. When we were in the office, I always did the same thing, uh, which was I, 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 I arrived early, especially when before our kid was, was born now with the, with the nursery and the school run is more complicated. But then I went one by one chatting with everybody on the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you yeah. say, good morning, how are you? Just to show face and be with them because there's so many things that you understand through that. When you see the same people over and over, you can understand just looking to them like, this guy has not sleep well. This lady feels that is worried. They, they, they start getting fidgety or happy and you can start understanding those motions, but also you just become mm. a person that you're close to them. When you're close to them, that means that they can approach you, as you were saying before, to make you questions uh, or to ask you for support. Um, because if you meet with them every two, three months, like, hey, Dan, what can I do for you? Congratulations on your good quarter. Just lip service. I didn't need you when I yeah. smashed my quota. I need you when it was like 7 p.m. at night. I have nothing on my pipeline. And I was with this gut-wrenching feeling that I was not going to hit target. And I was going to get mm. a performance review. I feel like you need to create these habits of making yourself available. And and for some people, this is complicated because they have this, this view that as a leader, you need to be detached. And like, again, like this profession is different. You need to understand that to, you're dealing with people and with human emotions. If you train your team to be robots, they are going to be pitching to your clients like robots. And that means that their conversion is going to be yeah. very bad unless your product is extremely good. If you have an extremely good product, you can become picky. If not, you need to develop a relationship with your team so they get used to develop a relationship with their prospects, with their champions, and that's how they're going to be able to sell. So I think like one of the things, setting on my calendar time to be with them, forcing my time to be with them, have impromptu conversations. I think that when you have this feedback relationship, you can say brutally honest things in a kind way. I think there's a difference between being kind and being nice. Nice is always saying, yeah, everything is going to be all right. Kind is like, no, man, you are making a mistake here. You need to change here, 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 yeah. here, here. And I'm saying this to you. This is a kindness. It's my job and your job is to listen to me. When you create this relationship, when you have these ongoing coaching situations between you and the directors and the sales managers and the reps, that happens. I think like another point that is fundamental there is being super aligned with the sales managers and the directors and be their allies. Because if you have the VP 
in that sense, like 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 um, like the, the roles that I've been doing, mostly going straight away to the reps directly. The sales managers and the directors can feel that they are bypassed. So you need to be that ally, and and on the one to ones debrief with them. Who are the reps that are concerning you the most? Who is at flight risk? Who is at risk of actually not hitting quota? Why? Um, why yes? Why not? What's the strategy? Are you going to be the good cop and I'm going to be the bad cop? How do we do it? Do we take this person for lunch? Do we take him for a cup of uh, cup of tea? We strategize that with the directors and the sales managers. That also gives everybody the the feeling that truthfully you are a team. You're a high performing team that you come together with the same ideas. And, and that you can build together a culture of respect and transparency and people can open up. So in that way, your direct reports will not feel that you're stepping over, over their toes, but also you're an ally. And it, that's fundamental because the sales manager role is a, is a, is a, is a pretty ungrateful one sometimes. Sales managers get a lot of stick, man. They get a lot of yeah. work from, from kind of tying a hand up. It's a... You know, find, finding time, actually one of the things that I hear from them a lot at the moment is finding time to do all of those yeah. things is, is a challenge. Okay. So, yeah, color coding, blocking out the calendar, making sure you're spending time and building relationships before you yes. need them. exactly. Right? Um, that was one of the things that you did very well um, and you continue to. And, you know, it, that actually allows you to shortcut communication later. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think it makes the gifts, because I connect, I'm connected with you, you understand what I'm trying to say when I'm trying to say things, even if it's in a slightly quicker motion. All right, cool. So the relationships are important. What else? What else goes into a good culture? You talked about training. Yes. Like in, you know, this is our relationship. Let's talk about training. What's your views on training? To me, training and enablement is one of the things that 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 we we in general on the profession did not get absolutely correct on giving it, it its importance. And 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 I think that that's why to me it was so so important always to be very engaged with with you and your teams when we were in the old place and and in every training team. And to me, actually. When that's one of the things that I ask uh, about enablement and, and, and training when I'm interviewing for a role or somebody approaches me or I'm approaching somebody for a role. Um, and and what, is, what is the approach to enablement? Why is this so important? You spoke about the sales managers. We're expecting the sales managers to, to be doing, to manage the team, to train, sometimes to be even player coaches. That's metaphysically impossible. So training, it, it has become... Um, or the sales enablement and sales training in many companies, a ticking boxes, a ticking boxes exercise, onboarding practice, and training will should mm-hmm. never be an onboarding practice. Let me make a question. It's, this is going to be very extreme, and when I say this, some people look at me like I'm, I'm cuckoo. Maybe I'm cuckoo, but if you have a team of physicists and you're working on nuclear reactors or whatever, uh, that is going to make billions of pounds of output you're not going to give them a, a, an online training or a course in Coursera, which may be amazing, and expect them to, to actually train themselves like that. You're going to do probably uh, every quarter a roundup with them. You're going to go send them to seminars. You're going to send them to conferences, yada, 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 because it's a very specific skill set that mm-hmm. you need. You're talking about, you're talking about, uh, uh, we're talking about physics right now. And you were talking with Andrea the other day on the podcast about uh, baseball players and rugby players. The sales team is exactly the same thing in the sense that it's, an, it's ongoing. I think training and enablement, yeah. they should be the right hand person of the sales leader. If a sales leader doesn't have uh, a sales enablement person, or if the team, maybe the team is very small and the company is very small, but they need to have the ambition to create a sales enablement platform and team. Why? 
we talk a lot about go-to-market. It's one of the buzzwords right now. Everybody wants to do go-to-market, and, and I feel that it's a, a little bit of a wishy-washy approach. Go-to-market, the first thing you need to do when, when you do go-to-market is you need to segment your audiences. You need to understand what is your total addressable market, which part of, them, of that market um, is composed of enterprise, MLBs, SMBs, how they purchase, where they are, how they buy. There's a lot of data doing that. But that's going to give you three, four, five, six buckets, and you're going to prioritize the buckets that actually match to your product market fit. That's the key thing on how you do a go-to-market strategy. You have a product market fit, or you, or you develop a product market fit, and then you tailor to your audiences. Now, if you are lucky, you're going to have two or three audiences. But that means that if you aspire to sell to each one of those audiences in the same way, you're going to make a huge mistake because you are going to be telling only to at least uh, <clears throat> one of them. And, and, and you should try to aspire to build a narrative for each one of them and have different adaptations yeah. of the product market fit. That is metaphysically impossible to, do, to, to be done by the VP or director or the sales manager because day to day they have a lot of things to do. That's why you need a team of people that are trained uh, and, and, and academically prepared and with the right experience like sales enablement professionals to distill that information, align with the VP and the directors on who and when do we do these enablement sessions. And that should be an ongoing process. There should be an ongoing process, yeah. certification, training and retraining. And when you have a conversation with, with, with a rep, so like you are not going to get promoted ever to sales manager if the sales enablement person tells me that you're not ready. You and I have had this conversation with some people. That completely changes. Yeah. That doesn't mean that this person is going to be uh, in, in a seminar with you or checking materials and documents on, 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 a, on a platform, thinking like, okay, another exercise. No, I need this to become yeah. better. I feel like, to me, training and enablement is fundamental just because of that. You cannot address all your audiences in the right way without tailoring your pitch and tailoring your approach. Look, on the, on the place where, where you and I met, it was a catch-all party. We were selling to absolutely everybody. But you think we have at least three business on the sales team. And that was why it was so important to have you and your team there. We have a, an SMB team, we have an MLB team, and we have an enterprise team. And those three cultures were fundamentally different. The SMB team, they were selling to yeah. small occupiers and to small, small companies, community. Then the MLB mid-sized companies, 200, 300 people, very self-contained, everything. And then you have enterprises that actually are over-exploring across the world. Each one of them have completely yeah. three different three different approaches to, to, to buy. Some are more uh, pro, uh, product-based, other pricing-based, other one security. So then in the end, what we did, if you remember, each one of the three teams, the one that was doing SMBs, we took a lot of professionals coming from, for example, the gym industry, and we were doing gym and hospitality. They were doing touring. They were creating a special, yeah. a special feeling because that is gonna. Those teams were actually indexing on good space, functional space, but then experience that is gonna help me attract and retain talent. The MLB and the mid market yeah. teams they needed convenience. They they needed something where they can show muscle to their investors, but also. Exactly. To their employees. Yeah. So it was very much aligned to the brokerage business that we have a lot of transactional people there. And then the enterprise business, we, we took the approach of a typical SaaS medic approach because you build a, a relationship in time and you start with a small office here and then a larger office there. And then you find that you're selling 10,000 people office that is worth millions of dollars somewhere else. So you have those three different audiences. Um, 
you want to capture each one of them because your business allows you to do that. You need to prepare three different value propositions, three different teams, and you need a team to facilitate that, which was the the mission of your team. And that's why you guys were so so successful Mm -hmm. because we managed to actually impact those three audiences in a very positive way and rebalance a company that was 85% SMB to a company that was literally 30, 30, 30. And that that gave the company a lot of solidity. That is one of the reasons why sales enablement is so fundamental. And when a company doesn't take enablement seriously, to me, that's a big red flag because they don't think about audiences or something that is dynamic, that is going to change. If you're, if you're expecting to have the same playbooks and the same pitch over and over and over again and don't change, you're going to fail. And the people that have been pitching in the same way for the last, last three, four years, going back to how we initiated the conversation today, now they are lost because the sales pitch that they were using is worth nothing. When you're reducing your tech stack, when everything is about how actually are the tools utilized, what is the output of the, of the tools, yada, 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 uh, it, it just becomes a, a completely mood narrative because we used to have a lot of a, a lot of a lot of tools in your tech stack. And there was a pressure to actually have more. Like somebody, our investors told us that this, uh, they're investing on this other tool, which is going to be the next big thing. Roberto, yeah. you need to go and like I don't care what's the price, license it. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't want to. Everyone's stripping tech stack out now, right? And uh, hopefully, we're, we're going back to a more conversational method of sales and actually persuading people, like I said, with value proposition. One of the questions, and actually I'll be keen to get your take just quickly on this one is sales enablement, sales training, and you did an amazing job. And I just want to say thank you for for literally pulling us into that space because it was, we were kind of getting edged out a little, um, but you pulled us into that space. One of the questions that sales enablement professionals are asking all the time is how do we get a spot at the table? What's your advice? Because, you know, there's there's differing levels of sales training and enablement out there, and, you know, no point in our fingers. But how, what would be your advice? If we want to get a seat at the table, mm-hmm. if we want to be there to help influence direction, what do we need to do? You, 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 and, I, you and I spoke about oh, this a lot back in those days. What is the value that you guys are adding? And, and that means that you need to have numbers, which you were always very good to. And, and there's a mm-hmm. lot of amazing tools right now in the enablement space that can give you proper metrics, you were, you, were, you, were, you were chatting about that on, on one of the podcasts uh, recently about what is the increase in conversion rate and everything after a sales trade. So you need to have those numbers. But then also you need to mm-hmm. build those relationships. And, and this part is wishy-washy, bear, bear with me. One of the mistakes that I think that we've done on sales is that, especially in the last 10 years, we've been very heavy-handed with the rest of the teams. So I look down on finance, I look down on these teams and whatever, we're going to spend a lot and this, and we're going to do President's Club and we're going to send people to, yeah. uh, I don't know, to Acapulco for 15 days on the company's dime. And then you have the person that is paying the invoices on finance, say like, these guys make a lot of money on the bonus and now we send yeah. them there and they have all these funky tools. What do you think is going to happen when you don't look to the eye of these guys, when you actually don't explain mm. to these guys why do you need to be doing these things? What is the output and that, how does help them do their job? What do you think is going to happen when these people that are feeling disgruntled, let's say that way, uh, now have the power to actually squeeze the budget? Because now is the moment where the CFOs and the final mm. things, like yeah. they're going to tell you, they're going to show you the middle finger and they're going to tell you, you never care yeah. about me. I don't understand why you're doing that. I'm not going to pay you to go on a vanity trip to the beach. So I think one of the things that sales leaders and sales enablement uh, leaders need to be doing is weave those internal relationships on understanding what is the value. Like the companies were training and, and, and the place where you and I were, were together, we did have that with some, with some of the leaders. One of the 
problems that we had is that when yeah. that cohort of leaders left, the leaders that were coming from 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 uh, from behind the, the, the from underneath the ranks, they didn't have that approach from us, and 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 they were just saying like, yeah. you're spending a ton of money on this and that, and I don't see the value. You just just want to go uh, on the company's time to 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 the piece with your with your with your folks. Like, well, no, it's not like that. Like, if I need to retain this person, I need to do this and this and this and training and and yeah yeah yeah. So I think like. Creating this internal, this over communication internally, why enablement is so important. Like nobody is so stupid as to reduce uh, training on, uh, I don't know, hazard and security, for example. Right now, nobody, no, yep. no, nobody is silly enough to do that. They need to understand that not training people, not having an enablement department is the same thing because they are going to leave or they are not going to perform. The good ones will leave Mm. And the bad ones will stay. And the result of that will be misery because you are not going to be able to hit your targets. So enablement is a team that turbocharges the company revenues. So what you guys need to be doing is, one, get to, get to know your numbers. And second, evangelize. You need to be all over the place yeah. seeking that seeking that, that time. Uh, and, and maybe you cannot go to the VP of finance from the beginning, but you can start with the senior manager and then with the senior director and finance teams uh, have something that is very interesting. They normally are very transparent with each other because they speak the same lingo. And, and if you've been ever in a, in a finance internal internal meeting, they, they, they speak like peers to, to a degree in many cases. And, and the CFO and the VPs want to know what is happening on the ranks. So they listen to them. So if the head of commercial finance or the the senior manager of uh, finance that is doing with account account like i spoke with dan and with enablement team and actually they're doing this and this those things that's how you create uh, you bring up you build your identity mm -hmm. within those teams that are deciding because then there's going to be the the the, yeah. the the conflict of what why is this different from hr and talent why, what's the difference why do we need to have a a sales enablement team that is not what um, HR or the people team are doing in terms of training us on yeah. this or that or whatever is fundamental because it's yeah. a completely different profession. You don't have an academic background. You you have a moving target. You have moving constituencies. You have product developments. You need to be your finger on your finger should be on the pulse every single day. Enablement is a twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year activity. You cannot wait for the quarterly. Uh, training platforms. That's why you need a sense enablement team. But to put it in value, you need to build those relationships. Yeah, no, no, I love that. And actually, it's it's one of the things that I've tried to do. You know, since working with you is is always tied to the numbers. Like I'm I'm a little bit militant on that now. And uh, anybody who works with me just hates the fact that I'm banging on about the data. But we need mm -hmm. to have the data, right? I think that that's important. We can't take mm -hmm. full credit. We can't always take full credit because there's often other initiatives going around the project, but you know, it's good sales leaders that recognize there's a yeah. people component to it as well as a structural or an incentive component. That That's kind of what works. And so there is two elements. And I think the other thing as well, building those relationships and then sharing theories. This is one of the questions that someone asked, and I answered it this way. As I said, you should never go to those meetings asking what is needed. You should go with a hypothesis. And the hypothesis is the, here's the number that we need to impact. Here's the potential behavioral skill that is the challenge that we're seeing. I, and this is the potential fix okay. or, or potential fixes. So I think that's that's it. So knowing your numbers, knowing the people, 
helping them understand the value of enablement and then actually going mm -hmm. with some, some specific projects where you can have some value. So it has, yeah, to, really it has to do with the growth, with the growth mentality. And, and this is something that, for example, is one of the things that when you're interviewing for a company, you can start asking, asking the, the, the person who is interviewing you about, about this approach. What, what I mean by this is to me, it's very important understanding what is the finance team, um, finance team's approach to, to, um, to growth, for example, do you have a CFO that is that is uh, focused mm -hmm. on sustainable growth, or you have a CFO that is more traditionally focused on accounting? Accounting? Do they care about attribution, yeah. or do they care about incrementality? What is the approach from from the people team? Like, for example, on, <coughs> on a place previous to where you and I met, we used to have a chief people officer that I was absolutely delighted to work with her because she was she came to absolutely every WBR meeting, every weekly business review, and every monthly business review. Mm -hmm. For each one of the countries, and there were a lot of countries, she was always taking notes. She was always silent. If she didn't understand something, she followed up um, after the meeting and, and asked you. But then when push came to show and you needed to define something, a restructuring or a new product development or promotions, she absolutely knew the job of that sales team in particular upside down. What was the outcome? Yeah. You didn't need to do any briefing. Mm -hmm. You didn't explain if the SDRs were hitting target or not. She knew it. She knew what were, and her yeah. whole team understood that. And and I was I was having a coaching session with her when once she was she was coaching me uh, because I was in the in the middle of, of my career progression within that company. And I told her that I, I praised I, I praised that. And and she said, and she basically told me that she didn't she 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 embraced growth mentality and she didn't want to be the person, something very similar to what you just said. She didn't want to be the person that needs to ask what needs to be done. I need to know that's my job, what needs to be done and I need to be propositive. But for that, I need to understand what you guys are doing. Yeah. So it's not a passive spectator, it's a participant in this growth mentality of the company. Yeah. And I like it when the people team and, and sales team, there's often like people so many times point fingers. It's not, we're all one big organization. Don't, don't, don't point. All right, let's let's jump to yeah. this list. I'm going to see. I think we've got most of them, you know. So 10 ways. So define, communicate the company's sales mission, vision, and values. That was that was always one, I think, is, is you know, you talked about the different tiers of business and what we're trying to go for. I think that's good. Set clear, measurable goals. Yeah. Celebrate and recognize the successes of the sales teams. You did that brilliantly, you know, helping just even raise <laughs> the profile of even the, the earliest SDR for the work that they've done and, and recognizing outstanding performance. Uh, training and development there, encourage collaboration. You're doing all right, top five. You do. You, you, do you think you're going to get all ten? No. You're hey, looking pretty confident. I'll be very happy to learn also more things today. I've been learning a lot, so bring it on. So yeah. here's one. Here's one. Transparent, open communication. Yeah. We talked about communication. You know, one of the things that you used to do yeah. was the donut meetings, right? And when I first saw the invite to the donut meeting, I was like, oh no, this is for people who've got zero in a month or something like that. Then I rocked up just to see what I could learn, and there were there were physical donuts on on the table. That that was one of those those things. Like, what was what was your intention with those donut meetings? Because it had everyone from yes. every team. So one of the, the 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 issues that we had in that company, and, and happens in 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 companies that go through a bleed scale or a, or a hyper growth phase, we have a lot of new people coming from different walk of life. So if you remember, we have different businesses. Mm -hmm. Like we spoke about the sales team. That we have three different audiences, but then you need to chat with product and with construction and with there's a lot of different people coming from different walks of life. They have very different interests. So part of the issues that we had 
when we wanted to roll out a project and happened to everybody is that we were speaking different languages, even if it was English or French or Spanish or Mandarin, we were speaking different languages because we indexed on different things, relationships, numbers, uh, projects, different different things. So there was always the conundrum of, I need these guys to understand how are we doing from a revenue perspective, because that was my job, and I need them to help me open this building faster, lease this building faster, reduce the cost mm. here. So I need to have numbers on one side, but then on the other side, I need to bring these guys together around the process and the systems, because one of the things, um, yeah. we spoke about numbers, we spoke about people, but the third part of this trifecta for a hyper growth is systems and processes. You need to build systems that are uh, scalable, repeatable, that they just go by default. But what McDonald's are doing, McDonald's are phenomenal because they have systems and processes that are so ingrained uh, that everybody knows after one month what happens in every possible situation. And that is very comforting for, for them because they can grow faster. So we need to build those relationships and those systems and processes. So the idea was, if you remember, it was Friday to, to, to finalize the week. One week, we go around the horn and we talk about numbers. What are we seeing? What are you seeing when I'm hurting you? What am I seeing when I'm hurting you? But then if you do that every week, it just becomes um, a pain, but also you don't weave those relationships. So it's like, okay, let's trash uh, the, 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 the numbers and forbid uh, numbers for two weeks every month. So we do two weeks of numbers and then two weeks to talk. We're going to talk. But then the typical mm. situation is like, okay, you gather, it's like 14 to 20 people sometimes there. They come from you know, directors, senior managers, associates, um, one hour in a meeting room. Okay, let's talk. Let's talk about what? Uh, and, that, and, and that's very complicated. So one of the biggest uh, or the best icebreakers that I know always is food. I, I like food. I'm a Spanish. I think that food mm. helps uh, bring people together. So let's bring some donuts so we're going to start with jokes. Oh, I'm on a diet or this, or do you have vegans? I want chocolate. You start talking about that. And then people just relax after five minutes where you have yeah. uh, crumbs all over your face and everybody's having their cup of tea. Then we start dropping topics. Okay, what did you see this week? Or And then people yeah. start coming to you. Hey, on Friday meeting, I want to talk about this thing, this process or this system or this tech tool yeah. or whatever. And then you bring them on and then you create this in a very... It just flows in a very organic way. So what helps is one, you build relationships and you understand that that person in front of you is your peer, not your contrarian. You should go to him or to her for support if you need it. But also uh, when you need to deliver bad news or tough news about numbers, hey, I'm going to fail on my target because you are not delivering this project on time. They understand why is the reason yeah. you just build those systems and processes. And, and, and that's what we we're discussing on the donut meeting. What is going on here? Why can, cannot we open on time? Okay, I have this limitation. Okay, and, and, and it normally flow, flow this way. Hey, I cannot tour for three weeks. If I cannot tour for three weeks, my pipeline is stuck. So actually, I'm going to actually, it's going to take me six more weeks to actually um, achieve my revenue target at, at, at launch date. Okay, I need to stop. Uh, I, I need to stop here you for, from touring because I need to do this and this and this. What about if I do this meanwhile you are on the process of warming up leads instead of touring? Okay, happy days. And we changed something very stupid, which is a calendar, something that it didn't mind when that team did it. It needed to happen in the first three months. But actually, if they move it three weeks before, it just completely cleared the schedule for our teams to tour that specific yeah. building. And that could only happen 
in a very relaxed environment where people can open and talk about why is this hurting? If not, the, 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 possibly what, what could have happened is that somebody will send an angry email, I cannot do this and this and that, and your team is hurting our quota and I'm going to escalate this. And then somebody yeah. will answer, oh, you are not respecting my team. And then everything will become lizard brain and lizard brain fighting each other instead of two yeah. human individuals talking to each other and understanding how can we work together. That was the aim of the donut meeting. You I have a that. team so different from different walk of lives with missions that sometimes uh, are so are so opposite that you need to bring them together and create these spaces when they can collaborate. And matrix organizations are a royal pain in the bum. But I think it's the best thing that can happen when, when you have a matrix organization yeah. and flows, it's <clears throat> wonderful because everybody learns and everybody is aligned on the mission. When you have hierarchically separated organizations they don't talk to each other and then you have silos and there's no transparency and, and, and that that that's just misery there i love matrix organizations but matrix yeah. demand from leaders huge effort to foster communication yeah i love that and you know if you send an email that says hey why can't you do this like it's going to get received in one way but if you've got a mouthful of donut and you know the person and you say hey why can't you do this it's it just lands differently. It's not and they're like, well, actually, yeah, maybe I could. And it's so I think I think you've talked about three things. You've talked about company culture, you know, in terms of sustainable growth and you know longevity. You talked about team culture, you know, with the leader setting the culture. But you're also talking about these micro cultures and and actually being intentional around how you create meetings and, and what you're trying to do with that. So I like that you're operating on all those levels. So yeah, definitely got the uh, culture of trust and respect inclusive environment, encourage innovation. You were definitely getting people to go out and try new things. That's brilliant. And then that, you know, continuous improvement by encouraging feedback, listening to suggestions. You know, it's it's about being open, hearing things as much as possible. And like you said, walking around the team again, to no team, just like having having that permission then to later on for them to open up and say, hey, you know what, actually this is happening. And by building that. So, well, well done, 10 out of 10. Uh, I would have expected nothing less. Um, but we are ultimately trusting ChatGPT, which is... Uh, Let me tell you one thing. Is, Until ChatGPT and I, AI is not sentient, which is not, uh, any any answer yeah, is as good yeah. as the person making the question. So congratulations and order to you. Well, thank you very much. I think this is this mm -hmm. is a huge topic. Sales culture is, you know, like I said, people are evaluating companies now based on the next three to four years. And it's joining a company that is is worth investing in. Like life energy is is limited, um, you know. I, don't, I can't remember how many weeks it is, but you know, you've got those all those charts, like something like forty thousand mm -hmm. weeks. It might be completely off. Let's yeah. invest those wisely. Let's invest it into an organization that values us. Let's do good work as a professional. You know, if you're transitory, then carry on. But if you're a sales okay. professional, then go and go and figure out the best next to you. Robert, this has been this. Like awesome. look, yeah. I, I think like just as, as a coda to these. There's no magic formula here, but to me, in my experience, and speaking to, to the people that will be listening to you, starting with the question or, or going back to the question you started of, of what to look for, like the best decisions that I've taken in life, uh, professionally and personally, are when uh, something is around a project that makes me tick. When I've taken decisions based, mm -hmm. decisions based on short-term gain of title or salary, I failed miserably. And 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 
Yeah. And that's a lesson that we tend to forget here and there. And it happened to me on my early stages of my career, and it's happening to me uh, now, which I think is, is, is a good reminder to have some, some humble pie. So if you are looking at what, what should be the next company that you should be, my, my only thing to you, dear listener, that I will tell you is like, think about what is the project and think if you want to see yourself there in three years, uh, and think about what are you sacrificing yeah. if you just choose something with a funkier title and maybe a couple of thousand quid more, which I know are very important for everybody because we all need to pay bills, but yeah. what are you sacrificing? in terms of learning and developing if you don't do that. Yeah, it's the all-round nice. thing, right? It's the all-round. It's the all-round. Uh, amazing. Robert, where can people find out uh, more about you? Are you active on social, LinkedIn? LinkedIn? I think LinkedIn, everybody can, can find me, Robert, dot, uh, Robert Taracido Ruiz. Um, I think my, my family name. Yeah, you, you I'll put, put that the show in the show notes. Because my family <laughs> name is, is pretty, pretty complicated, pretty Spanish. I don't, I don't have social. Um, but yeah, on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to have a chat with, uh, with, with anyone. Yeah, so reach out to Robert if you want to know more about sales leadership, sales culture, or if you're expecting your first baby and you want some rapid fire <laughs> advice, he's also phenomenal at that. Uh, Robert, thank you again. It's been a thank pleasure. You, see you, you soon. You know what I think, Ron? I think that was a sales call. Good job, buddy. So you're going to buy a subscription? No, I already get the times. Bye-bye.